Now the shotgun start in golf is full of mathematics. Um, there's a lot of a lot of setup work that we have to do in order to make a tournament work. So I'm going to demonstrate to you just exactly how we do a shotgun start here. And here we go. All right, all right, all right. Gentlemen, start your Greetings and welcome to a Friday edition of the Shotgun Start. It is March 27th. Andy, how we doing? Brendan, I'm doing okay. Just, uh, man, diving into to, to VJ. My, my brain is like scattered. We're, re we're recording this like Friday. Or Thursday. Or I'm sorry, Thursday. Exactly. I'm scattered. Thursday afternoon. I've done about like five or six hours of reading on VJ's thing to prepare for this. It's, it's like, I'm almost in too deep at this point. I need to come back out trying to organize my thoughts. We are certainly going to miss things, but we'll get to that in a minute here. Um, you doing all right? How are you? I'm doing okay. Just, yeah. you know. Shout out to everyone that's continuing to listen. We're getting a lot of notes of, uh, I don't know, support, appreciation. I know it's not an easy time for pretty much every single person out there in the world. Um, and we will continue and attempt to do these as best we can. So one exciting development is I've uh, I got our it's warming up here in Chicago. I got my first batch of uh, of shotgun start cold brew brewing tomorrow morning. Oh. I'm gonna wake up with a with a big batch of cold brew. Right, you're <laughs> you're a little cold brew fiend. You got all these contraptions. So you have some sock or something you call it, oh, like yeah. cold brew sock. It's just a reusable tea filter. They call okay. it the coffee sock. Okay. All right. Yeah, I've heard you talk about that. Uh, any other things we need to discuss? We got to talk about Sonny Kim. Sonny Avocado. Oh, Real quick, before we get to Sonny, I got to give a shout out to listener Kurt Muller of Athens, Georgia, saying happy birthday. Is it Muller, Mueller? Kurt uh, is a longtime listener and an acquaintance asked us to give him a shout out. So happy birthday to Kurt. Which we occasionally do around here. Birthday shout out. Every once now, in a while. Sorry for that that hard stop. It's a good enjoy your birthday this weekend. Just, you know, forget about everything else going on in the world. Let loose. Alright, let's talk about Sunny. Yeah. People were I mean, there's no golf. There's no golf, so it's Sunny's time to show. I think that did that maybe change? I feel like I saw Palm Beach County might have come on board with some things you know closing stuff down but I, I i'm not don't quote me on that one but i mean there, there's nothing going on in sports and here we are sonny abaco he's getting articles about him tweets uh you know he's well well i have to say one so he shoots 59 to win um on tuesday wasn't he like seven shots behind or something yeah like it's a two-day tournament at the fox club Shot fifty nine to win. What's the Fox Club? It's uh, Dar Darren Clark's old joint. I don't know if he's still involved with it, but place down there, um, down there in the swamp, used to have a big uh, money game one day. I, I think a Wednesday money game back in the day. Okay. Um, okay. But uh, he shot 
30-29. He had two eagles in the last three holes to shoot 59, and he won. Uh, you know, Gavin Hall was the first round leader. He shot, he shot, uh, 62, um, and he finished second. So Gavin, uh, Gavin Hall from, uh, former Texas fame, who's been playing I, really well on the minor league tour. Yeah. Someone DM'd us asking me to quiz you on who the best player in the world is. I think his name is Jonathan Henry. I forget who sent me a message. Wanted me to quiz you and Smarten who the best player in the world is. So it's Gavin Hall at this point based on his uh, run through the minor leagues. I, you know, I don't think that's true, but... <laughs> <laughs> on a tour that was currently playing golf. Let's right? keep in mind that sustained success on the minor league tour, that's not a good thing. You look at the <laughs> all-time money winners on the, on the minor league tour, you don't want to be a part of this group. Because you want to be mon- earning money on other tours. So Sonny Kim, tour. all-time money leader, shoots 59, he wins... The best part about this is one shotgun start listener who tweeted, I didn't, oh. I don't have it written down. He bet $10 on Kim to win to uh, the day of, a uh, day of 59. So he got great odds. He made more money than Sonny Kim won for That's winning the tournament. True. He did. That's not true. No, it is true. Because he, he got him when he was down seven. He got whatever odds there <laughs> yes. were when he was down seven. So he bet $10 and won over two grand. No. Sonny Kim won like fifteen hundred bucks for two grand. Yeah, he got two hundred to one odds. Really? Yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. So he you called that. You called that on whatever we were talking about. That there were lines on the MLGT. You said the the betters are going to win more than the players, and that happened right away so this is the first 59 and 17 in the 17 year history of the minor league tour a is tour, that right a tour we cover quite a bit well yeah we're <laughs> covering this long before it was the only game in town so keep remember that when everybody goes back we'll still be covering this tour <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's almost like i feel bad covering it right now when it's it's you know getting ubiquitous cover you know attention Okay, Sonny Kim won won twenty one hundred dollars, so it might have been just about the same amount. Okay, okay. Um, he, he he got a hundred twenty dollars of skins. Okay, good, good. Congrats to Sonny. Ch- Chase um, Kepka finished tenth. Someone DM'd us as well. We are we are not on top of it with the names and giving proper credit there. That on a small scale. That the, the the cancellation of golf might have hurt Chase Kepka more than anyone, because he had an exemption in the Valspar, and he was probably playing his partner at Zurich with uh, Brooksy. So he missed his like probably his only real two big shots this season on the tour. So I don't know if that's accurate or what, but uh, he's still playing on the minor I, golf. I don't, I don't think that's true at all. I think that you know, like you look at like the LPGA rookies who have basically lost money on the Symmetra tour for you know the last year who then flew to Australia they started their stay they started it with like a a a negative event (laughs) I think those are the ones that are probably I know it was a little extreme no one said more about the cancellation the corn fairy guys are kind of in the same boat where all their expensive events they already did like yeah they're lost the lost leaders Columbia, Bahamas, El Bosque, yeah. all that stuff. You know? 
All right. Uh, other news. PG of America appears to be worn with Brandel Chandler. We may need to push this to Monday. Did you see this? Uh, with the, the bitch slap term? Yeah. Not a good choice of words, no. maybe. But, um, Poor choice of know, words. I think Brandel has, like many things, he has very uh, strong thoughts about instruction. Has done a lot of work in instruction, research in instruction. But I just like... Um, I don't know why the PGA of America is taking on this fight right now. Like, is he calling out specific, like, the club pros? We have a lot of club pros that listen to this. Maybe if he is, then I don't really get that. But I don't think that's what he was doing. I think he's talking about some of the snake oil salesmen out there that are kind of marketing themselves and uh, maybe couldn't get away with them. Eh, eh, I don't know. I, I don't know enough about it, like, the situation to weigh in. Could get away with it by networking with the right people making rankings and lists and stuff like that. I think this we going after. Um, as opposed to PGA Club Pros. But I just feel like PGA America should, I don't know, worry about their club pros that might need work right now. Stuff like that. It wasn't a good choice of words. It seems like, you know, people are quarantined. They get a little pent up energy, a little, yeah. you know, a little frustration. There's, and there's, there's stuff to talk about right yeah. now, too. So now. I, I Googled it real quick to get up to speed. There were like eight articles. Like It's like Brandel's original thoughts, Brandel's apology, PGA of America like responding, some specific pros responding. It's just like the content machine is driving on this alone right now. So, there's, um, there's articles about everything. There's about eight articles about everything. There's articles about Zoom backgrounds. Privately having fun. Yeah, we're not going to call people out there. All right, uh, that's it for news of the day. We bitch slapped the news. Uh, Don't to, use that term. I know it's it's. A, I'm not using it in Um. All right. Do we have an ad read today? I'm no, lost we don't right have now. any ad reads. Bixbycoffee.com. Find shotgun start. The promo code is prevail. Right for ten percent off. Prevail. I prevail. I read it as pre-avail. It's prevail. Prevail is we're <laughs> going to prevail over this pandemic eventually. Right? Yeah, I'm eating too much stuff these days. I know. I'm probably just um, Okay. Bixbycoffee.com. VJ Sigs, exciting. It's nuts. I mean, yeah, we'll just so let can we give some background here on why we're doing this? I mean, these are all fun to talk about, but like, ideally, there's an end goal here to sort of have a holistic picture of different eras of golf, different stars within those eras, and sort of a golf in general. If, yeah, and if not a ranking, uh, an understanding of like a hierarchy. Echelons. Yeah, a hierarchy of the game, and if you want to call that. Andy's Hall of Fame, we can do that. But but whatever this, there's a larger project here that we're trying to kind of round into form. I've always been a big admirer of Bill Simmons. I read his book of basketball cover to cover a decade ago, and I think he did this, and it it was something that I think is a great, you know, thing to think about. Is the ability of looking at players. The first step of this is researching them and really understanding them, and I think that's what we're doing right now. And in the grander scheme of things, it's developing a hierarchy, uh, so to say, of these players and where they fit in historically, you know, is is important because 
even just the Hall of Fame, for example, the Hall of Fame, you're in the Hall of Fame. Like, what does that mean? There's different classes of players in the Hall of Fame. And I think we'll get into VJ. VJ is by far the most accomplished player that we've profiled so far. Um, And we're planning to keep this going. You know, when golf, it was a great, it was something we had talked about doing before you know this all happened it was the perfect time to do it obviously we would love to have this more organized you know than it than it was it was kind of a okay well what are we going to do this was this was something we wanted to do and afterwards when this is you know when golf is being played again this is still going to be a regular feature so this is not just some like hey we don't have live golf on you know this we're not yeah this is something that's here to stay and I think like um, I think we we didn't necessarily pick this era for any particular reason, but I think it's a, it's a great that we have. We've been having a blast with it, and I think it helps to first start talking about players within a certain era, right? Before you start jumping all over the place. And exactly. Comparing players within an era gives you a better understanding of who that player was in totality. Like sometimes you just can't compare, you know, Bob Cousy with Chris Paul. Like it just doesn't really work, you know, and and. and so sorting that might be even futile, uh, a futile exercise. So like, I think this is, I think we picked a great era here to start with. And, you know, we've seen it already happen where, where there's interconnectedness with Hal Sutton and Pavin and Monty and Momira and Duvall. Like, it just, it just kind of helps you understand who those, A, the great players during that era, but where they kind of fit in that specific time. And just the general things that were going on in that era. Right. You know, like the bigger right. story, the the overarching story. So this, it's been exciting because, like, you know, I was watching. It's funny. I watched the 2000 Masters last night and then today, which mm-hmm. VJ won. Um, and sure enough, like he who he was de- duking it out with was David Duvall. Right. And Duvall, right. like, he hit it in the water on 13 and it ended it. But it was really a two guy race up yeah. until the 13th hole. And then VJ kind of pulled apart, uh, pulled away. But like it was, it was interesting because it was David Duvall and his Massimo. It w- he was like super fit, like, and it was like, oh my god, we just talked about this Duvall, and he finished third in the event. So it wasn't like his his as close of Masters calls as the other two seconds, but just as much he was in the mix there as he was the yeah. other ones. So yeah. it was, uh, it, it was, it, you know, there's so much on these guys and I think we're doing our best to highlight all the big things. Um, it'd be, you know, this thing would be a five part pod if we wanted to hit everything about VJ, but, uh, yeah. here we go. That's, that's the other thing. Yeah. We know we're missing. We appreciate people sending kind of tidbits we missed. We'll try, I'll try to maybe compile those into kind of like a supplemental, you know, addendum at some point. I'm planning but, to do write-ups. Too. We know we're not going to get all of DJ here, but we're, we're trying. A mix of the character, a mix of the upbringing, a mix of the accomplishments. So, all right, should we go? Let's yes. do it. All right. Off the bat, VJ Singh, the big Fijian. Is he, was he called it? Was he, is he called that that much? I don't think so. I mean, VJ is just a name that stands on its own. It needs I mean, no further like nickname. That, that's a big thing when you're talking right? legacy is the one name guys. There are yeah, some, there, there aren't a lot of one name guys, and he was a one name guy, VJ. Yeah, yeah. Um, so VJ also means victory in Hindi. Right. Okay. So I'm going to start off with a little uh, snippet from 
John Garrity SI feature. Um, And this was after he won the PGA. Okay. 20 years ago, he was a lonely youngster hitting shag balls in the shade of a giant mango tree on a South Pacific island. This is 98 PGA. Yeah. 15 years ago, he was an uh, itinerant golfer leaving a trail of bad loans and unpaid phone bills from Australia to Malaysia. 13 years ago, he was an exiled pro in a rainforest of Borneo banned from the Asian tour for altering his scorecard at the Indonesian Open. Now, Vijay Singh is the PGA champion. So, Vijay, was a, it was a long trek for Vijay to get to the PGA tour. He grew up in Fiji. I think... You know, the the big thing here that I took away from VJ, he was a PGA Tour rookie at age 30. Yes. In the, mo- in the modern era, right. a s- superstar talent would not have taken so long to be discovered. And everything, it, it wasn't as global of a game. You know, they didn't compete. Like Fiji, a guy from Fiji wasn't competing, but now it would be completely different where, like, superstar young talents are recognized and they're they're supported by a lot of governments to get them out and get them out in, into tournaments and events. Like, one of the things that you have to keep in mind with VJ is that he, his career on the PGA Tour didn't start till 30. He was kind of like, uh, it kind of reminds me of Chris Wenke when he was the... Uh, when he was in the Heisman the candidate, State, when he was like, like 28. 28. Yeah. And then he was well, the that pan- was because he went and played baseball. Yeah. I mean, he was out there, but. But so. Well, he, so it's a rookie at 30, and then he's the youngest living electee ever of the World Golf Hall of Fame. Yeah. He's in your Hall of Fame. He's in everybody's Hall of Fame. But, like, think about that. I think he was inducted or elected when he was 56. And he didn't turn pro or turn pro. At what, like 17? He's turned pro 20, it, I think. Didn't make it to the PGA Tour until he was 30 years so, old. So let's run down some of the basics, all right? So he had he had 34 PGA Tour wins. Keep in mind, he Again, started first one at 30. Age, age 30. Rookie in 93. He won his first event on the PGA Tour. The Buick Classic, 1993 Buick Classic. So, and, uh, what's nine Euro Tour wins, sixty-three worldwide wins total, three majors. Turned pro in eighty-two, uh, eighty-nine. He won his first Euro Tour title at the Volvo Open Championship in Italy. He finished twenty-fourth that year in the Order of Merit. Pretty incredible. Breakout yeah. year in Europe was ninety-two. He won twice. Then he then he got to the PGA Tour. 93, Rookie of the Year. I think he was 18th on the money list that year. Um, 95 through... Uh, so now we're going to get into just, like, peak VJ stuff. I mean, he arrived in America in 93 and then won the Buick Classic and became Rookie of the Year. Kind of amazing. Yeah, okay, unbelievable. So just we're just going to get into just some, like, crazy... It's some VJ stats, right? Yeah. So uh, 95 through 06, this was kind of his his years, right? You could go to 08, but 06. In the majors, he had three wins, 21 top 10s, and 48 starts. In 03 and 04, he, he had 12 consecutive top 10s. 
that was too short of Jack Nicholas's record. Um, in 04, obviously, he took over number one in the world, held it for 33 weeks. The best season to 04, he had nine wins. Nine wins. Nine. Nine. Nine victories. In the Tiger era. Including a major. Including in a major. Tiger era. I mean, Ernie was balling. Uh, Phil was balling at this time. Like, it, this was... There were superstars in the game at this Didn't, point. Wasn't it from 97 to, I want to say like 07? No, 97 to 08. I think he won every single year except for one. And the one year he didn't win, he had like 14 top 10. Yeah, 14 top 10s. So winning every year for 10 years. From 11 to 2011 till, or no, not from, for, for 11 straight seasons. I think it was 97 to 08. Or okay. ninety eight to oh eight for eleven straight seasons, he was in the top five of the money list. Not top ten. <laughs> top five. Top top five. I mean and he was and he was fifth only once. Everything else was fourth or better. It's just astounding. So oh four. So had- not be injured. I mean you're he's he's like turning forty, you know, he's late thirties, early forties during this track. Go ahead. So, 04, nine wins, um, one of which a major, 18 top tens, 10.9 million in earnings, world number one, PGA Tour Player of the Year. Um, in, in that stretch of 03 and 04, which is like the two year stretch, yeah. he won 13 times, had seven runner ups, and 17 other top tens. So, that's. If you add those together, he had 37 top 10s in two years in 63 events. It's unbelievable. 04 was like, I mean, yeah. I mean, that, that's, I, I think people like the Masters maybe is his like most significant win because of what brings with the Masters, but 04 is the year, right? So, so I mean, let me tell you how he ended the season. This is the stretch to end the 04 season, 04 year. Yep. So he went, he won, he won, win, win, T32, win, 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 T18, T9, T2, win, ninth. What were the wins? Like, I mean, they were Bridgestone, right? Yeah. PGA. PGA's in there, I think. Not Bridgestone, I'm sorry. Buick Open, uh, Deutsche Bank, which is where he overtook Mm Tiger. And he was the first ever to win 10 million in a season. Yeah. One uh, so he had twenty two wins in his forties, which broke Sam Snead's record, PGA Tour record. record. Um, yeah. He he won he won a Courier Cup. That was that was, this was like the late boom after after the initial this oh four boom. This is kind of a sort of a late windfall for him. By the way, on the forties thing, now that we're talking about the breaking Snead's record. Thought Tiger said that Singh's twenty-two wins was the model for, for Tiger. That's what he wanted, and I just think it's interesting. You know, we we you know Tiger barely a player in his forties until the last year and a half, you know twenty-four months. So, um, to give you an idea, so VJ 04 was the first year of strokes gained stats. Okay, he was first off the tee, second approach, tenth around the greens. And he was like in the hundreds on putting. Putting, yeah. 
I mean, they talk about his putting a lot in these articles about, you know, he's a notorious tinker, but he's better than like, better, he's a better putter than the sort of, than like the tinkering would indicate, in my opinion. I, like, I not like know. an Adam Scott or Duffner way. I think kind he's kind of like them, but just <laughs> yeah. better. Like, yeah. I, I think the thing was he was so prodigious from tee to green. The thing yeah. that was really underrated was how good his short game was. Okay. But he okay. just he was a top ten guy around the greens. Also, yeah. he just couldn't yeah. putt. <laughs> and I think that was like if you're gonna say like one hole, why he didn't, you know, like what I started to see when I was looking at him in a totality was. Ernie Els has more has the same amount of top fives and majors as uh, as uh, Singh has top tens, and the reason was I think Ernie Singh was probably a better tee to green player, but Ernie was a better putter. That's saying something. Yeah. So like that. Well, no, Ernie's Ernie was a great putter early until yeah. yeah he until everybody thinks that Ernie was a bad putter because of the yips. But, the, yeah. but he was a that was the thing about him was he had this unbelievable tee to green game, but then he could putt. So I think like where VJ was just a top ten machine came from the fact that we see it with like Adam Scott, Sergio. These guys have been top ten machines their entire career, but they didn't they don't win a lot. But VJ was so 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 dominant from tee to green, mm-hmm. like. Mm-hmm. I mean, first and first off the tee, second approach. Second, first, second. That's that's gonna be done. The wow. next year, which wasn't a great year, oh five, he finished finished third and tenth and eighth around the green. I mean, like you put three top. That that is out of this world extraordinary, in terms of statistically speaking. I would say, like, I don't know what would the. The praise we give like Rory's year last year, winning like a players and FedEx like and these stats and strokes game stats, it seems like VJ did that kind of like for like seven or eight years in a row. Yes. You know, with a few majors mixed in. I kind of go ahead. And like the, the great players, they had top flight great players. I don't think they had the depth that people would say now. Yeah. And, and there is like also another aspect that maybe equipment allowed the great players to separate a little bit more in this era. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I mean, just unbelievable to do this. And, and keep in mind, he did this with Tiger Woods around. Right. Took Tiger. Took Tiger's number one world record. Um. The '08 thing kind of was interesting to me, where he's like he. It kind of felt like he was falling off. After he won at 04, his PGA in 04 was his last major. He's like, I think, I, I mean, I, I got to keep it up. I think I only have about like six more years of like really contending in this. And so he tinkered a little bit more. He did a swing change in 08. And then he just kind of gets hot. Yeah. You know, he wins, wins an Akron in Firestone. Wins a what was it the Barclays? When, yeah, he didn't even have to show up to the, <laughs> to the tour championship. He was he's propelled into first place in the FedEx with three events remaining, and uh, he won the second one again, the Deutsche Bank, uh, with a 63 in the final round. So he won three times in his last five starts after like struggles, relative struggles. After we're talking like 
some of these 04, <clears throat> 03, 04, or 05 numbers, like struggles meaning like he missed a cut every now and then and was outside the top 10. So, but then he wins three of his last five events, wins a FedEx Cup when he's like, and, and that was it. That was his last win on tour. Yeah. It's, uh, so this is, you know, just like putting in perspective, and this is the great thing about this is like we talked about Duval last episode 11 sure. wins in 36 or 33 starts, whatever it is. Right. Really? So VJ was really close. Like VJ did, you know, 13 wins in 63 starts, you know? And if you, if you look at that, if you, if you timed it up right, he'd probably get really close, but it also like shows how crazy Duvall was, you know? Yep. Yep. Uh, he was inside the top 10 for 540 weeks. Yeah. Did you say did you say that already? Uh, I didn't. He's I had it written down, but I number one for what 33, 34 weeks? Thirty three or thirty four weeks. And then like he and Tiger kind of bounced back and forth for a few months before Tiger then took it over in the mm-hmm. way that he did. Um I thought this was interesting. On June twenty eleven, while we're just talking numbers, June of twenty eleven, he missed his tea time or just no showed for sectional qualifying for the US Open. Which ended his uh, active streak of consecutive majors by a pro at sixty-seven. Wow! So it's the longest active streak. So that that's funny because I was looking, I was doing, I was looking at L's. I was actually uh, messaging with Deep Fried Egg. Deep Fried Egg. Hope yeah. he's Is feeling he a big okay. L's guy? He's a big sing guy. I'm a big. Oh, L's, okay. But he's you okay. know we were we were messaging about the and I was like oh well Ernie's definitely played way more majors because he started playing them in ni- early nineties yeah and it's like VJ's only played like seven less majors than Ernie he's only, yeah and I mean he didn't yeah. play you know he was on the tour till he was thirty. <laughs> That's the thing is he didn't even play on the PGA tour until he was thirty with all these numbers. Uh, should we talk about him at the majors? What do you want? Do you want to do let's, the upgrading? Start, you want to do the childhood? Yeah, let's, kind of I stuff? think we should talk about what happened before he was 30. Do the color, some of the color. Um, so we've got the numbers. Let's add, let's fill in some color. So he grew up uh, in Fiji. Fiji. Like, so I'm reading this and I think his aging at some point said like, this is like a Hollywood story. And I'm just wondering, it should be a movie. But is VJ just such like a cardboard cutout for the media that like he would have been this all time character in the history of golf based on this story that we're about to, you know, just only give you the quick summation of like it should be a movie. It should be a all time character, but it kind of wasn't It's known as sort of prickly and cold. There's a incredible feature by John Garrity that was in in uh he it was in SI. He was it was in '96. He went to Fiji actually yeah. for this feature. This was when sports writing was great. It's still great. It's just not. Nah. Well, it's not like this at all. No, it's not. F- he's he's uh, known at at home as Fiji's only sports millionaire. You want to talk about this? Let's let's hit it real quick. So he's one of six children in a family whose dad was an airplane technician at the airport nearby uh, airport. He was a part-time golf instructor. His dad, when he wasn't working on the planes, uh, provided like the necessities for the six kids, but very little more, uh, very little else, I should say. Um, he's a VJ's of Indian descent or Indian extraction, as it was characterized in one article which means he's a descendant of the Hindus and Muslims 
from the subcontinent who came to work Fiji's cane fields, and it made him a sec. Therefore, uh, that made him a second-class citizen in Fiji. Um, there was a lot of this, like his family couldn't afford golf balls, so he used coconuts. Mm-hmm. Did you see that? That yeah. was used in a lot of different places. At one time, um, like obviously, just from kind of pretty Spartan circumstances. So here's a, here's a story of uh, from the Garrity piece. Yep. So it, there there was an airport, the golf course. There's an 18 hole course right next to the airport that his uh, father worked at. The young VJ jumped the airport fence after school and raced across the huge runway to the course where he practiced and played for hours, usually alone. From the shade of a large mango tree by the 14th fairway, he hit hundreds of balls a day, stopping only to grab a mango off a branch or drink from a nearby tap. At low tide, he hit balls on flat, firm sand of, a, of the beach, a good place to learn the crisp contact needed to spin the ball off of Fiji's water grass fairways. At home, the young Singh studied photographs of Sam Steed and Tom Weisskopf. And this is a VJ quote. My brothers would go to the hotels and bars. I would never do that, even when I was 15 or 16. Golf was what I did. So... Listening to that, I, I, I hear, like, traces of the Duval stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, like, other people going to prom, he wasn't. And you're going to hear that about a lot of professional athletes over time, but it's just interesting, like, from two guys from very different circumstances on different corners of the world, um, kind of. And you heard this even with Hal Sutton, who was a trust fund kid, who didn't like team sports and kind of just didn't. You know, he got into the social extravagances later on tour, but just like, you know, tends to gravitate towards loners and guys who've been grinding it out of the dirt, whether they're trust fund kids or dealing with personal tragedy like Duval as a, an escape from that, or maybe DJ just kind of as someone from with little means in an island on the other side of the world, sort of as a singular purpose in pursuit. Well, I think Tiger has a lot of similarities to this too. Sure, it's you know, and that was part partially because of his upbringing and how his you know how he was yeah. you know raised. But I think that there's something with golf that there, it's very rare that you get the gregarious. Everybody loves this guy who's also a dominant player. You know, yeah. it's yeah. it, and I think there's something that to get to where you know, get to that dominant level, you have to have that, an edge almost. Yep. yep. Uh, so. Um, I mean, I got, there's a few other things like about growing up, you caddy for a dollar a day at the airport golf club, Naughty Airport Golf Club, which was, you know, next to where his dad worked as an airplane tech. Quit school when he was 16. And six years later, he was a club pro in Borneo, as you mentioned. So, so I got the students were oil rig workers who paid him four bucks. I mean, this guy's just done blue collar stuff. He was a bouncer in Edinburgh and in Scotland when he was trying to make it on the European tour, a nightclub bouncer. Like he's just done like blue collar jobs. I think we'll talk about it here shortly. That's like these days you wouldn't be the guy kind of gravitating to the people on tour with the most Instagram followers or things like that. You hear about how he gravitates towards the guys on the range that are maybe the, the most famous or the most wealthy. And I think that some of this in this route, in these routes. So here's a, another story from the Garrity piece. Um, sure. I'll, I'll tweet this out tomorrow. 
Um, by the time he was 16, Singh was hitting his driver prodigious distances and winning island competitions. At 17, he was the airport club champion, Fijian amateur champion, and owner of practically every other cup medal and medal the islands has to offer. VJ was cocky as hell, says Michael Lenz, the secretary treasurer of uh, the Fiji Golf Association, who ran uh, events in the late 70s in which Singh competed. He used to sell the prizes before he even played the tournament. He was that sure of winning. What does that mean? He would sell like the pawn off the whatever the prize before he even teed up. It's kind of amazing. So, um, in 1980, he played in the, this World Team champ, uh, Amateur Championship, which Fiji fielded sure. a team and brought him to Pinehurst to play against the world. Fiji shot 84, 80, 80, 81, and the Fijians did not fare well, finishing 123 strokes behind a U.S. team led by Hal Sutton, Bob Tway, Jim Holtgrieve, and Jay Siegel, those two, the last two, for those that don't know, are two of the greatest amateur players of all time. Yeah. Um, both of them have been Walker Cup players and captains. But the yeah. Fijians yeah. did beat Papua New Guinea for the first time, allowing them uh. to claim the championship of the South Pacific. <laughs> there that, you go. That had Cooper, who was the team you know, like captain, on cloud yeah. nine until he got <laughs> the bill from Pinehurst and showed Vij- uh, Singh with $700 of charges for phone calls to Fiji. <laughs> there was, this is an ongoing story for, for Vijay. Was, there was, was, go ahead, go there ahead. was no malice in it, Cooper has to say. Vijay was a very young fellow, totally naive, always well-mannered, but I had to break the news to his father, and his father had to pay the bill to get me off the hook. He loved the uh, the phone bills. It's unbelievable. I yeah, he probably was calling his family or something. Who knows what he was doing? So at the age of nineteen, he played professional events in Australian mini tours. So that was the Go thing. Ahead. So this is the Garrity piece. The lesson that Singh took away from Pinehurst, however, was not the one of the fiscal responsibility. Yeah. His poor play measured against that of the Americans convinced him that he needed a stiffer competition than VJ, uh, Fiji could offer. So that's when he set out to play professional golf in Australia, 82. Ah, uh, there so, you go. There you go. Hand it off to sense. you, big guy. You're a thing. But in Australia, he, he would win on these mini tours, but he became known for leaving unpaid uh, phone bills. <laughs> Usually phone bills for frequent calls back to Fiji. <laughs> the I mean, same thing. Like, there's all these stories. I guess he would like call and then just like kind of take take off from the club before like reimbursing the club. And they'd get stuck with these huge bills. Became such a big issue that Ray Graham, head of the South Pacific PGA, confirmed that Singh was temporarily banned, banned because of these unpaid phone bills from playing in Australia. And that this Graham guy was personally owed money. Uh, but playing in Australia gave Singh like confidence to step up to the Asian tour, where. Uh, at age 21, he won the 84 Malaysian PGA's first ever Asian Tour event. So he won his first ever Asian Tour event in 84 when he was 21. Um, this quickly, you got anything else on, on kind of the unpaid phone bills? Nothing, in Australia? El- nothing else on that. So then in, in 
the Asian tour is where like this kind of moment. Do of... you here? I'll give you a, a couple things from this Garrity piece. Okay, give it to me. So from the, from this from John Graham. It wasn't Ray so Graham. much, wasn't, uh, yeah, Ray Graham, sorry. I was Whatever. thinking John Garrity. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He, he, he was told he couldn't play here again until those debts were settled. It wasn't so much the money, says Graham, but the seeming lack of gratitude. He didn't endear himself to people. VJ wasn't a boy who sent you a card or anything afterward. This is the thing that kind of continues to this day. Not, not, not a great bedside manner. He might be gracious and kind in certain ways, but uh, you know he's not you know, great with expressing himself in that way. Um, all right, so so he goes steps up from these Australian mini tours up to the Asian tour, where he wins his first start in Malaysia. But this is kind of where the big incident happens that kind of followed the rest of his career, right? And, and maybe is a reason why he's sort of a I don't know, gruff and doesn't want to talk to the press and doesn't necessarily have much of a personality outside that of like his group of pro friends, you know. Um, this was the Indonesian Open in 1985, uh, which he claims this was, it was a mistake, but he allegedly altered his scorecard, turned in his score. I read it was a stroke better, mm-hmm. but some people claimed it was two strokes going from one over to one under. I think it was just one one stroke. Yeah, change the scorecard one shot to make the cut. Singh has never really explained it, like, in great depth, other than say it was, like, a big mis- misunderstanding. And uh, he kind of claimed the Indo- Indonesian amateur he was playing with kind of was also keeping score and screwed him a little bit. Like, he's got this, like, again, we're going back to he's got Indian roots and Fiji and second-class citizen. And there's sort of, like, this, um, conspiratorial paranoia about him too. You know whether it's the press that's out to get him, or you know, and some of it's not conspiratorial based on his upbringing, right? Like he's always been kind of like fighting to get to, I don't know. He had to fight for his his success and his mm-hmm. opportunities, and, and I think like so th- this this cheating incident at the eighty five <clears throat> Indonesian Open. Uh, they banned him from yeah. the Asian tour. It became a two-year suspension for he, banning. And he so. would write letters to uh, the tournament director. Um, and this is from his wife. Now that yep. VJ somebody, Mr. Young, comes up and says, Hello, how are you? We are extremely courteous but very cold. So Mr. Young... This is the tournament director? Yeah, suffered a serious illness, but... But they, uh, Garrity got uh, quotes from a player who was there um, who asked not to be identified. Uh, an American play- pro on the Asian tour. I was there. It was not a misunderstanding. VJ was accused and suspended for altering his own card. All of us who were around are very upset that VJ desi- denies this. Yeah. He claims, like, yes. I mean, it seemed like a lot of people said he was caught right handed. Changing the score, he said it was a misunderstanding, so he was treated more harshly because there was a marker. Like his playing partner was the son of a VIP in the Indonesian PGA, so he got kind of, I don't know. He, he wanted a DQ, basically, not a ban, mm-hmm. which turned into a two-year suspension. But like, this followed him forever, where there's articles to read about 
kind of hammered guys who are hammered at PGA Tour events in like 2010, like stumbling up to him and screaming cheater at him. You know, this this followed him forever. And whether people even know the origin story or they just think he's a cheater and they don't even know that this is why in Jakarta or what. People, it, it's a tag that is followed. I wonder if that's going to happen to the this this era's premier gentleman, Patrick Reed. I feel like wasn't Gary Evans on the European tour tweeting recently about a time he saw, or was this it? Was this the event? That he I don't know. About? I don't know. We, I swear, I'll look that up afterwards. I swear, Gary Evans just talked tweeted about this. Um, so then he gets, so two, uh, then he becomes a club pro. Two year ban. Got nowhere to play. He goes to. Borneo? Borneo? Borneo, I think. Borneo. He's earning like $4 to teach like oil rig workers how to swim the club. In this article, VJ and his wife talk about this period as the happiest time of their lives. What? (laughs) So this is VJ. You get up in the morning and hear the birds and the sounds of the jungle. Nothing to worry about. You had a roof over your head and something to eat. And we had each other. I learned a lot about life. It was 4,500 miles from Fiji. It, it sounds like it was like impossible to get to. Uh, it's just kind of an amazing story. Guy wins his first first event ever on the Asian tour. He's booted the next year. And he's kind of banished in the middle of nowhere to be a club club. So. Yeah. So. All right. What else we got? Getting to 93. It comes back after two years. You talked about some of the Euro tour success right bouncing clubs in edinburgh mm-hmm. uh trying to make it on the euro tour trying to like slowly slowly work his way uh back into the pro game uh in, in 89 he finally wins a- after two years no 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 after the borneo thing he went to the what's the now defunct safari safari tour, right? tour yes in africa won the nigerian open in back to back years if i recall correctly mm-hmm. and, and that got him into Euro Tour Q School, where she, where he got his way on the Euro Tour. I mean, think about, think about this, like, from today's perspective. You got this young kid wins in his first Asian Tour start. Like everywhere he's playing, he's having immense success. And at the time, he's like twenty, young twenties. Right. And which nowadays would be, you know, all American at Oklahoma State, and everybody knows about you. You know. Or even if you're a European or somewhere else, you find a co- your way into a college scholarship or world amateur events. But or an agent finds you and gets you to the right spot. You know, right. it, you know, it, and this he's dominating all over the place. But yeah. because he wasn't because of where he was born and what he was born into, he these years where he could have been racking up stuff were lost. And I think this is the thing that I think about. Ernie Els was playing in majors at age twenty. VJ yeah. was just turning pro and leaving Fiji. VJ's on like the safari tour. Exactly. You know? It's kind of amazing. Um, all right, where do we want to go next? So he wins. So he gets what we talked about his European tour success. He wins the Volvo in 89. Uh, gets a couple more wins. So he gets, and then he, he gets to the tour. He wins 93. his first start. Yeah, wins classic. rookie of the year. Year classic over Mark Weedy. Yeah. 93 year classic. Playoff. Rookie of the year. 93. 18th on the money list. And then he, he has some injuries, I think, in 94. That he So he doesn't win in 94. And then 95 is kind it's of like a breakout year. Back and like neck. 
in the, the 94, which is not something you want to have when you're already 30 years old, just starting out. Well, that's yeah. the, the, the course. Usually, you know, the, the second year players don't deal with that, but when you're 31. <laughs> all right. When so you're now Chris you... Winky. <laughs> Um, all right, so he wins, and then he wins every year on tour. Basically, starting what ninety six, he did not win. He wins ninety five, you up again. That was like a five hole playoff, I want to say. Beat Doug Martin from Oklahoma. Yeah, he beat Billy Playfair in a in a playoff. His first three wins were playoff wins. Yes. <laughs> wins the ninety seven Memorial, and then uh, you know, beat, so he beats Furick and Norman. At a good course, big, uh, a big boy tour course. Um, so he's winning. He's got five wins since turning pro '93, and comes to the '98 PGA Championship, Sahali, in uh, Pacific Northwest. So he started the day final round tied with Steve Stricker. He ended up winning Strix. by one, one by two shots, and he uh, beat Elkington by three. Um, Did he set the course record? Yes, he tied Tigers, I think. Tigers set it in the first yeah. round, maybe? Maybe a second round, and then okay. Sings tied it in the third, or one of the two of those. Yep. First and second, he tied it. Um, so Sing led by one on 17, and this is kind of, it really, it's a really, it's the craziness of golf story, right? So Sing and, and Stricker both hit it in the bunker, you know, and he's Sing's up one on 17, and uh, Singh hits it to like 15 feet. Stricker hits it to 12. And Singh makes it. Stricker misses. Like, who would ever think that? Like, what right. guy putting maligns him his entire career, and the other guy is one of the greatest putters of all time. And, and Singh makes, he misses. So right. he credited this win to his switch. And this is going to be an ongoing theme. His switch to cross-handed putting the month <laughs> before. It's one of his hundreds of switches through the years. Um, in fact, there, I found an article that says that Singh literally has, like this is not an exaggeration, thousands of putters at his house. Um, yeah, I wouldn't believe it. I, I told you that. Which he's oh, tried Homer. all these. It's, I think, like we talk about Adam Scott a lot and his puttering, putting tinkering. And I think there's a lot of truth to that with like guys like him and they hit it so close so much that they're they get hurt by miss putts more than everybody because they have so many that you feel like you should make more than you actually should that there's this right. psychological thing and they trick themselves into thinking they're putting they figured it out so sing switches across handed putting he wins um there was one moment <laughs> this year i love this <laughs> so holly it's like the trees are almost like, uh, yeah. uh, I mean, they were talking about how it was like so dark, even Garrity in the middle a, of Garrity the day. A, Garrity has a great game story on this point too, that you should read. Yeah. It's about how you need like a flashlight to read the yardages in the middle of the day because it's just so tree-lined and tall, right? Yeah. They're essentially grandstands all around them, except you don't <laughs> get free drops. But on one hole, BJ... Oh, basically grandstanded. So the 11th, par 5 11th, Singh hits an Aaron Threewood that hit a tree. He's going for it in two. It ricocheted and rolled onto the green, stopping 25 feet from the top. 
<laughs> Singh might not have gotten a better bounce had he hit the tree a hundred times. From there, he two putted for a birdie. Um, there was one like, didn't he hood a wedge because he's like in the woods and yes. had to? Th- I mean, there's just trees everywhere. You're just like trying to find stances and <laughs> you know. Uh, gaps to hit through but i don't sahali hasn't had a major since they had a women's pga but i don't think that that was it right i think there i don't think there's enough space to put infrastructure out there (laughs) Um, frank licklider finished t4th oh (laughs) frankie i just thought that was funny (laughs) um so this is from new york times uh clifton brown uh i guess that's kind of but uh, he said, I can't believe I've won this tournament. Uh, I was laying awake last night at 2 o'clock, wondering what would happen today. And my wife said, are you asleep? And I said, yeah, I'm asleep. I guess he like just couldn't sleep. He was thinking, mathing out everything, and he was just so nervous. And I mean, it was interesting because Singh, you never hear guys talk about that very much anymore. Everybody's like, "Oh, I slept fine." Like it's like they're yeah. afraid. But Stricker, in his in the same in, in the same article, uh, New York Times article, talked about how uncomfortable he was and how it took him. It, he couldn't get settled down all day. And and here's Singh talking about like I. Uh, I couldn't sleep last night, you know? Yeah. I'll get to some stuff about, um, like, how he became friends with so many pros, but Jim Thorpe, obviously, who became more of a legend on the Champions Tour or found more success, credited VJ with that because he would said he would he'd do, like, the visualization exercise of every shot he had to hit. You're talking about him staying up thinking. And, and VJ would often go to the range after the round and, like, Work on here's the shot I'm going to hit on one tee, two tee, three. All you know, all the shots you would practice those after the round. Thorpe like credited DJ that approach with, with some of his biggest wins doing that. Thorpe, Thorpe, lots of right hand. Lots of people want want one of these on Thorpe. <laughs> uh, all right, all right. Anything else? I remember that vividly for some reason. I remember, remember Sahali '98. Yeah, yeah. Omira was in there. Your boy T four. Made a run. And Tiger set a course record. This wasn't like a chunk leaderboard. So, um, all right, where do we want to go next? 2000 Master. I mean, he wins the Sprint International, wins the 99 Honda Classic over Payne Stewart, beat Nicholson at 98 Sprint. Um, should we do the 2000 Master? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. All right, this is your wins by three over Ernie Els. Um, Started the day three ahead, I believe. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So Saturday, they had to play seven holes in the morning on Sunday because Saturday oh, was right. such bad weather. Jack right. Jack Nicholas said it was the toughest weather he'd ever seen. Um, Tiger went out early in the morning and posted like the best round of the day, 68. So it got him in the mix. So okay. Tiger was in the mix. Ernie, uh, Duval. Boss of the boss, Lauren Roberts. Carlos Carlos Franco was hanging around. I think they were teammates, VJ and Carlos Franco, in some team event. I can't remember what it was now. But, yeah, I think he might be buddies with Carlos. A little different practice habits being uh, VJ and Carlos Franco. Slightly different. Very, very, quite different. (laughs) So we talked about this a little at the top, but... It was, it was really a two horse race, um, and 
v- uh, Duvall. So VJ hit it in the water on on eleven. He actually got a really good bounce on twelve. And this is like always the thing. Like the yeah. difference between winning and second is, he like he got a great bounce. He hit it into the azaleas, but it bounced down into the bunker. So he hit it in the water on 11, and it could have unraveled right there. But then he gets yeah. up and down from the bunker for par. So he's one one ahead of Duvall. And Duvall has like six iron. And he you could tell he was so uncomfortable over the shot. He's going back and forth. It took him like five minutes to hit this shot. And he, Can he lie at 13? Yeah, and he chunks it into the water. Oh. He couldn't tell the wind. It, it, you could just tell he was so uncomfortable. And that was so. Then VJ VJ all of a sudden has a three shot lead. Ernie birdies fifteen, um, and cuts it to one because VJ bogeys fourteen. And then VJ hit one of the greatest shots that nobody talks about on fifteen. And in, in a twi- it's funny. Uh, some uh, for your benefit on Twitter uh, tweeted this at 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 us about it at me about it and i yeah. made sure that he was behind the trees on 15 you know the left yes and the pins yep. left and he draw, hits you... he hits this draw to like huh. 15 feet it was an incredible shot i mean like wow. ernie had the same shot and hit it over the green because he couldn't get it to stop i mean he landed like just barely on the green it, it was incredible two putts and ernie kind of gets a bad break on 16 it doesn't roll down the hill on 16 and uh you know he coasts in to win i feel like leishman did that in the last two to three years hit some insane draw at 15 but yeah yeah i, I kind of i know the shot you're talking about i don't remember vj hitting it yeah. um amazing for, for your benefit insists that if if tiger or phil hit that shot we'd see the replays like every single year but so because it was v and this is like the thing with vj is he was somehow so he was somehow underrated, even though he was this like unbelievable. And I think still to this day he's underrated in terms of his greatness. Yeah, people just know he was really good and kind of had a hot streak that gave Tiger room for his mother money. But that's it. Like there, there isn't a shot like little mirror. We talked about the twenty footer, right? And there's like the image and the hands in the air. Same with Phil, the jump and all that stuff. Or Phil shot from thirteen. But like DJ's win is just like, yeah, he won and here's, you know, him getting his green jacket. We don't have a shot to associate with it. Maybe that should be it. So uh Shipnuck after Shipping. the he uh he writes he writes a gamer for SI. Oh, did you get thirty else later the end I couldn't find it. I got it. Okay, got good. It. Okay. So Shipnuck writes a gamer. Yeah. I I agree about the sing shot. That's sing shot, I think, maybe. Um so Singh, so this is from Shipnuck. Singh had more than just home cooking working for him at the 64th Masters. I guess his whole family was there cooking. Um, he was also helped by a course setup that dramatic, dramatically altered the flavor of the annual Augusta Spring Putting Contest, as Johnny Miller used to divisively call the tournament. The first cut of rough introduced last year to much hand-wringing had been expanded significantly to pinch landing areas on some of Augusta National's twisting fairways. Uh, deeper, fluffier sand was added to the bunker, serving up more fried eggs than the local Waffle House. Augusta, always an expansive can- canvas for free-willing artistic expression, was suddenly more like a kind of punitive setup typical of a U.S. Open. 
This is the start of Tiger Proofing. This is, is this yeah. Duty? So in, in VJ, best ball striker. Yeah. Number one in what? Driving to an approach or something? Yeah. I mean, oh, well, like, I guess that was 04. 04, yeah. but this is, you know, this is, uh, this is 2000. You know, it's, uh, and, and Tiger didn't, Tiger shot 75 the first round, and he came into this. So that, you know, keep a, he won the the next three majors. Yeah. He yeah. he he. Yes, this was the Tiger Slam. Yeah. The dawn of the Tiger Slam. So he, he this was the one he didn't win. So he came into the event. He had finished first or second in at ten of his last eleven tournaments. Alimony had just beaten him. Yeah. The players in March. Uh-huh. And now he's at the Masters. So he shot a seventy-five on Thursday afternoon. He he just had like a disaster. He made a he made a triple or a quadruple on twelve in that round. Okay. Just a disaster. He only made the cut by one shot. Uh, so can we talk about ship knuckle on the topic of ship knuckle gamer about two thousand master? Yeah. A certain golf pro wrote a letter to the editor back when letter to the editor were a thing, especially in Sports Illustrated. And it was from none other than Ernie Els. In his story about VJ Sings winning the Masters, Alan Shipnuck refers to one American Ryder Cupper who, at mention of Sings' name, sniffed, once a cheater, always a cheater. Golf has a long memory. My reaction to reading this was disgust. Why would someone say that about VJ as he triumphed in the Masters? Why would SI's article of the first major of the 21st century not confine itself to VJ's magnificent victory? Why instead did the writer dredge up an unsubstantiated allegation about an event that may or may not have occurred 15 years ago? Why paint an unflattering picture of VJ by saying he is, quote, thought to have as much personality as Iron, Iron Byron and calling him unapproachable and, quote, the worst interview in sport? So Ernie, going at Shipnuck here is what are the other? I've played with VJ over the past, ten, played, played, more with VJ over the last 10 years than anyone else in all parts of the world. I respect him as a good friend, a great family man. Uh, sure, he works long and hard his game, but that is something to be admired. Anyone who knows VJ would tell you that there's a lot more to the man. I, te- I take people as I find them, and each person should make his own judgment. But let's make those judgments based on facts. So Al's, like, come to the defense of his buddy, furious that, like, the cheating was brought up, brought up in his master's win, and, and just, like, his lack of personality was brought up. So. You, uh, there was a boss of the moss on VJ. What did he say? So uh, he's a great champion, a deserving champion. I think a lot of people misunderstand, uh, misunderstand VJ. He's not aloof, but genuine. He doesn't give you a lot of BS, which I like. Above all, VJ loves the game and respects the game. And that is evident in his de- dedication to improving and in the way he conducts himself. Yeah. So one one other thing, because I want I want to point this out. This is just like if you read anything about VJ's wins, it's always just some random putting spark, right? <laughs> so, so, uh, so this is where Sing uh, Sing struggles on the greens are legendary. He claims to have a thousand putters at his home in Ponte Vedra Beach. That's not an exaggeration either. He says. <laughs> His renaissance on the greens at Augusta was sparked by a putter he picked up at the LA Open in February. Oh, God. An ugly thing called a dandy, as well as new touchy-feely attitude. 
So I've Amazing. decided to try and enjoy a uh, try enjoying putting more than hating it. Singh said, <laughs> who says he's an avid reader of self help books. If I have a bad attitude on the greens, I may as well not come here. About Augusta. So um, you know, another little like small victory that yeah. propels to a win. New putter, new mindset. Amazing. It's, uh, that 2000 Masters, I don't think, it's just not a month like the, it gets forgotten. It is forgotten, you know? It, it was weird because the weather caused like this, this weird Sunday. And I think the big thing was that VJ had the three shot lead. And then that Duvall fell out at, at 13. It kind of left. You know, you were hoping Els could do it, but then VJ made that birdie and it kind of, you know, that that cemented it. Yeah. Um, while we're on the subject of the Masters, can we, I, I've got, instead of growing chronologically, can we talk about the Phil Nicholson champion locker room? Yes. Fight. So you remember this, do you not? Yeah. Spikes? Yeah. So this is a controversy I researched. It wasn't. This Damon Hack, I think. It wasn't their golf game, so both top players were on the leaderboard come Friday evening, but rather a tip during the completion of their first round that offered the day's juiciest story. Singh, playing in the group behind Nicholson, complained to rules officials that the defending master champion was leaving large spark spike marks in the greens. On the 13th hole, quote, two officials, this is Phil, on the 13th hole, two officials approached me at two different times. They were sent by VJ to check my spikes because he felt they were unduly damaging the greens. <laughs> if that is the case, I'm very apologetic and will make every effort to tap down what spike, spike marks I may make in the future. However, I was extremely distracted and would have appreciated it if it would have been handled differently or after the round. So he made par on the 13th, uh, bogey 14. So his momentum was stopped on the course. And, and like the British writers were like, oh, they squared up in the locker room. So Phil hears VJ talking about it. Over here's VJ <laughs> talking about the champions locker room. And I guess there's like this nose to nose confrontation. After sitting in the locker room for a while, I heard VJ talking to other players about it and I confronted him. He expressed his concern. I expressed my disappointment. I believe everything is fine now. Uh, and somebody from Callaway, like, I think it was Larry Dorman, who's then like spokesman for Callaway, talked about how I was just fresh off the, the New York Times. Six inch to eight, some different kind of spike. Oh, you'd added like two Phil millimeter. Been, I forget what it was. Phil might have been a little in the wrong here. Another <laughs> another <laughs> black mark on. I he was, <laughs> he was tarnishing I, uh, tarnishing greens behind him. I'm not saying in that way. But I, I found an old Jason Sobel article about this after uh, this 2005 kind of nose to nose thing. And here's a story not about VJ, but. It was a paragraph in the article about the, the, the Phil DJ fight. Because this was when they said, like, Big Four, they all kind of hate each other. It's very tense. Like, Phil and Tiger have their thing. Phil and VJ now have their thing. Tiger and VJ don't really ever talk. And then there was Big Aaron, too. Yeah, I think they you know, just got along, along with everybody. <laughs> <laughs> but so this, this is after the Spike Mark fight. This episode comes just three weeks after tour player Tom Pernice a good friend of Singh, who I found in multiple articles, they, they were tight. A good friend of Singh reportedly asked that the Bay Hill Invitational officials check the coefficient 
of restitution or spring-like effect of Tiger Woods' driver. Wow. At Bay Hill, Tom Pernice. The club was found to be well within legal limits on tour. Asking them to check Tiger's driver at Bay Hill. Holy cow. Isn't that amazing? There's something else that VJ always wanted released. What's that? Oh, do you want Tiger's core? You think he sent Pernice there on the Kamikaze mission if they're buddies? Maybe. Like, ask them to check why Tiger's Tom driver. Perni- why? What would Tom? Why would Tom Pernice be asking? It is so random, right? Yeah. So I'm not. I'm not. I, this is my own conspiracy theory. I came up with. All right, so that's Masters drama. So uh, uh, in in O three. <laughs> this is actually another Shipnuck article. Um, VJ like wins. He shoots like a crazy low round to win. Comes from behind um, at Phoenix, and his quote I just found it amazing. I feel like my best golf is ahead of me, and he was about to turn forty. Was this the one where he said with equipment these days? No, I I, I don't think so. Uh, yeah, two thousand three Shipnuck. He said on Sunday evening, someone. It's a good swing. I'm in good shape. And with the equipment we have now, you can play forever. So that was the new uh, kind of Tyler Pro V1 there. Well, a big thing, 04 coincides with the launch of the Pro V1X. And I, I have I've gone over this in a flashback Friday, but the biggest winners from this were Ernie, Phil, VJ, and Retief Goosen. They are all big gentlemen. Yeah. Who who all of a sudden became prodigiously long and could hit like a little baby fade and be really, yeah. really long with a baby fade. Right. right. Like right. it brought a whole new level. Like all of a sudden they could hit their find a fairway shot 320. Controlled fade. Yeah. Because yeah. it used to be that you the long hitters would hit a draw. But it was right. hard to control draw. Because, yeah. you know, f- the yeah. famous lines, faders eat filet, hookers right. eat hamburger. Right. right. Uh, well, he talked about this in 04. I think this is 04 Bamberger. I'm jumping all over the place now, but while we're on the topic. 04, uh, yeah, March of 2004, he's getting like, so he talks with everyone on the range, but Nick Price is a good buddy of his. And Price... Uh, with getting him, trying to get him to cup the wrist at the top. Mm-hmm. So in time, Singh accepted and incorporated Price's advice. In the second half of the season, Singh began to hit a reliable fade, taking the left side of the course out of play in the manner that made Hogan and Nicholas legends. He won four times, never played poorly, won the money title, and climbed to number two in the world ranking. So this is that 04 season. He talks about in March, Nick Price is kind of, or early part of the year, Nick Price is kind of working with him, trying to cut the wrist and hit a control fade. Other guy in that Pro V1X that I left, Davis Love III had like a crazy great year the first year the X was out too. Another titleist guy. And another big guy, big hitter. He was always, Davis Love III was one of the greatest drivers of the golf ball ever though. Uh, let's, let's round up the majors and then we'll get to some of the controversies. Right. We're going to leave so much on the cutting room floor. Here. Oh, four so. PGA. Yeah. I don't have a lot here. I mean, I, he shot 76, 76 in the final round. So whistling straights, 2004 PGA. Obviously we just talked about Oh, four is his nine win season. Um, he won the final major 
It's his third over Leonard and DeMarco in a playoff. He was a leader by one shot over Leonard going to the final round. He shot 76. It's the highest winning score in the final round by a major, since major winner since 55. Um, Leonard was the kind of one, Leonard was the one that sort of like gagged it away. Yeah. Singh didn't make a birdie the whole day except on the first <laughs> playoff hole. So 18 holes, no birdie. 76. Like edges into the playoff. Got, got, got to be one of the least interesting final rounds of major championship history. Yeah, yeah. I was like trying to find like good articles. I, I couldn't find much, but uh, Leonard was like kind of the one who really gagged this one away. To use a John Miller thing. Um, what do I got here? I got a good. Uh, so, line. Go. so he, he L- Leonard bogeyed the 18. To, to, which, you know, he had a par putt that slid past the edge. I mean, that's a brought, hard hole when you only hit it like 260. Yeah, brought DeMarco and Sin back into it. He hit it in a bunker, kind of hit a shitty shot out of the bunker, a 15-footer for par, missed it, which forces the playoff. Uh, Leonard also, I think what ultimately cost me the tournament was my putting. He missed a 10-footer at number 15 that would have put him ahead by three. Did you hear that? He missed a yeah. 10-footer that would have put him by three on number 15. I missed about four putts inside of 10 feet on the back nine alone. It's pretty hard to win a golf tournament, much less a major. So he misses a ton of putts inside 10 feet, kind of like bogeys last, brings VJ and DeMarco back into the playoff, and then VJ finally makes his birdie in the first playoff hole. Lentard had talked in interviews about how he hadn't been in that situation in a long time, and he was really yeah. uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's, I mean, tough conditions, you know, this one's straight. So. Yeah, uh, there's, this is from, I think it's from Shipnuck's article also. He okay. was, Shipnuck was just writing machine then, you know, for mm-hmm. these gamers. He's still a writing machine. But he said, what makes this PGA tri- triumph so momentous is that it finally clarified golf's new world order. The computers still rank Woods number one, but right now, particularly in the wake of a typically erratic two-under finish at at the Straits, good for 24th place, Tiger, who has now gone 10 majors without a win, is only the fourth best player in the game. Throughout this summer, there has been a lively debate about how Singh, Ernie Els, and Phil Mickelson should be ranked in the first three places on that list, but the top spot is no longer in dispute. At Whistling Straits, Ells, who finished a shot back at 7-under, achieved the Grand Slam, having contended at all four major championships and then failed to win any of them. So he was just saying, Singh's the top player without a doubt at this point. Yeah. And he talks about how he didn't get all the press, but he was in shock still that he got uh, 2004 player of the year. He was like still a little bit in shock and assumes uh, it wasn't a unanimous decision. Just because he thought like other players were more popular, just always felt a little burnt, you know. Yeah. Um, all right, should we get to some controversy? Well, he won the FedEx Cup. We talked about that. Oh wait, oh, I, I, can I do one really quick uh, thing? There's a Golf Digest yeah. piece in in 2009, yeah. right before yeah. the FedEx Cup, and it was yeah. talking about. And it's, I just thought it was really funny that this is still essentially what we're talking about. Uh, the FedEx Cup has been a success for Tiger Woods in 2008 winner Vijay Singh. For everyone else, it's still a work in progress. The fact that the PGA Tour went with a delivery company to fund its ambitious attempt at orchestrating a season-ending crescendo should not imply that it expected overnight delivery of results. 
<laughs> Indeed, a simple cliche reliably has been deployed by more than one to explain the lackluster performance of the FedEx Cup to date, a work in progress. We'll add a second trial and error. The emphasis is on error for a reason. Tiger Woods won the initial FedEx Cup in 2007, as it turned out, uh, could have done it skipping by skipping the Tour Championship. Vijay Singh clinched the second FedEx Cup before the Tour Championship began, despite refinements to a scoring formula designed to avoid such a scenario. Each time, the PGA Tour has scripted a climax, and the actors gave them an anti-climax. So here we are now on the eve of another playoff season, commencing with the Barclays on Thursday, another makeover in place, pondering whether the PGA Tour finally will have gotten it right. I have no idea, said Lucas Glover. (laughs) I don't know how it works. I looked at it for the first time the other day to see where I stood. It's the third format change in the first three years of the FedEx Cup. The last line, we'll safely assume that he was not reciting the company line. What does it say then about an endeavor worth $35 million to the players, $10 million to the winner, and the response is apathy? Not great. <laughs> Not We're great. still there. Yeah. Well, then now we have another overhaul. It's a net growth. I know. All right. Should we get to some controversy? Some yes. other controversy. So there's a big cheating thing in 85, which, oh, by the way, Stevie Williams in some like book said he thought Singh should have been banned from golf completely for that. Stevie Williams from Oceania, in yeah, New Zealand. He said he had friends in Vietnam or something. But, uh, the so this, this made Singh kind of reclusive. And the later incident that made him do some first comments about Annika Sorenstein getting a, a a spotted colonial. He, you know, infamously said, you know, I don't want to play with her or I, I won't play with her, which he says he was misquoted on because he was going to be paired with, uh, like, you know how they do the draw of winners, play with other winners, tour winners. And, and he said he was misquoted on that. Um, but he also said, you know, he said the Stormstand didn't, be- Stormstand didn't belong on the men's tour. And he would not play if he were paired with her, which that's the part where he said he was misquoted. Mm-hmm. He said he wouldn't pay with her because he's, you know, being selected from other winners, past champions. And then he later, somebody's definitely been editing his Wikipedia page on this because I had to find other quotes, like really trying to soften this for saying, like saying he was misquoted. And then on Wikipedia, it says he clarified, quote, there are guys out here trying to make a living. It's not the ladies tour. She wants to play. She should, or any other woman for that matter, if they want to play the man's tour, they should qualify and play like everybody else. So this, like, I mean, this is 03, so it's not social media pure like it is now, but he got crushed for it. And rightfully so. It was a sponsor's exemption, right? They can give it to Annika. They gave it to Annika. She acquitted herself fine. Um, but I guess it really stunned him. I know Fergus, Doug Ferguson was the one who published AP Ferguson. Uh, was the one who published the story uh, with his quotes and, you know, VJ claims he was misquoted. I guess he never talked about Ferguson again. Wow. As of, I don't know, as of whatever article I read, like maybe they did, you know, in the last five, six, seven years. But yeah, a later article I was reading, like 20, 
10 or so. They never talked to him again. Um, or hadn't spoken to him since the colonial quotes. I don't have a whole lot on that. I mean, the quotes are what they are. And he got burned, torched for him. Um, the other one was, it was cheating. The Annika storms, Annika quotes, uh, the deer antler spray. That became a late career controversy, of course. I don't know. That just sort of like stands on its own. It's such a weird thing. Like I went through and kind of mapped out the whole timeline. I don't even think it's that exciting. What did you think of that? What would have been exciting is if you didn't settle with the tour and we got to see all like the discovery process of the tour. Can I talk about a very unsubstantiated rumor? Sure. About this. Yeah. I don't know if I, I said this or you said this on this or. This is extraordinarily unsubstantiated and should not yeah. be at all reported as fact. Yeah. This is a rumor. Okay. That VJ was holding out. Do you know what he was holding out for forever about this lawsuit? No. Apparently he wanted no money. What he wanted was Tiger Woods' drug test to be revealed. Really? That, unsubstantiated. This is unsubstantiated. But he got popped for deer antler spray. I it it kind of makes sense and yeah. He says that they he wanted the, as a settlement. What he I guess is what he wanted was Tiger's drugs test to be public. He did not like hearing about Tiger all the time. There was another article I read like Azinger was comparing his 2004 to Tiger, and like I guess. Singh got super pissed at Azinger for even talking about Tiger and just talk about me. I there's something I to that though where he it's it was like he took Tiger's the fawning over Tiger personally and it, it was a motivator for him and yeah. what got him to where he got to you know like yeah. I, it, it's such a stark contrast to the resigned attitude of Monty. Yeah. Yes, bristled about it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, the deer antler, I mean, like, he just admitted it in a SI article. So, yeah, I take it. Because we'll talk about his, like, workout regimen shortly. But it's like, yeah, I take it. And he didn't know it was on the banned substance list. I think uh, he said Jason Duffner was on the can reading it and found it was IGF, whatever is in deer antler, is a banned substance. And so it's just this shit show of a timeline. So, like, he admits it in January of 2013 in this article. Um, PGA Tour, like, suspended him, right, for 90 days, but then rescinded it uh, because, like, WADA found out, like, spray, you know, it, it, it's like two, it's like just traces, right? It's not substantial. Unless you test positive for elevated amounts, like, just using spray, isn't significant enough by Wada. So, like, Fincham walked it back, um, and it was just very odd. So then, you know, by the spring, like, three or four months later, VJ sues the tour, uh, saying the PJ Tour not only treated me unfairly, but displayed a lack of professionalism that should concern every professional golfer and fan of the game. And his lawyer for that is the one who's also sending around cease and desist on Patrick Reed's behalf, by the way. Same attorney as DJ's lawyer. Wow. Um, anything else on the deer antler spray? Nice I just thought it was like. Is this random? 
It's just not, it wasn't that exciting in my opinion. Would have been fun if they got to discover John. Um, what other controversies? Anything else? Sa- he got in a fight with Roy Sabatini at the 2012 Sabah. <laughs> what was that allegedly, about? I, allegedly, BJ yelled at Sabah's caddy when he missed a six-foot par because uh, his caddy was moving when he lined it up. And Sabo like spoke up to defend him, and then he cursed at Sabo. Called him a expletive, I guess. So that was a big fight they had. Um, I don't know what else. I've got too much stuff. He was. Uh, did him and Kenny Perry get sponsored by Transitions? Uh, that may be true. That may be true. I don't know. I, I think he might have been a, a transitions guy. That could be. Uh, he and Perry were tight. Oh, yeah. So let's do some personal stuff. Like, obviously, he's, he's thought to be a, a dick by a lot of people. The press thinks he's a jerk. Apparently, he's a big stuff family man. Yeah. He had six German Shepherds. Loves Fleetwood Mac, James Bond, Elton John. Six German uh, Shepherds. He ripped through caddies. So that's another thing that, that kind of contributed to, like, this guy's a jerk thing. He ripped, like, he, he did not keep caddies around long. And the one he had around it's longest. Kind of, I think it sounds like Sanjay a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he goes and practices for, like, an hour after, and he wants you there, and he plays every week. That was the other thing. He's playing, like, 27 events to Tigers, like, 18. And he's winning some of those money titles. Um, but the caddy had the most success with just quit after 04. You go through 04, a guy wins first $10 million winner and he quits. He's done. This is probably because uh, he was like, I deserve to quit. I made my money. I'm getting the hell out of here. This is James uh, Renwick, famous Scottish caddy. There's only so much of that stuff you can take, no matter how good the money is. Um, it's like, he's like, he never says thank you. It's just like, it's a total grind. Where and Paul Tesori took over for him. Now, uh, now Webb Simpson's caddy. And Tesori's like, he's always been very gracious to me. He, DJ actually tried to help Tesori become like a pro. Paid him like $500 to practice. 10 hours on the range for five days. But just kind of rips through a lot of caddies. Renwick, Tesori, and one of his caddies. Yeah, this is, this is great. This is an unbelievable on. uncover, uh, under, uh, uh, uncovering by you here. Was uh, Joey D. The famous trainer to the uh, swamp, the swamp creatures, Joey D. of a Saudi. I was never thought like, Joey D. would be intertwined into this story. He was like, VJ kind of like brought him onto the scene, onto the scene, and like, oh, what? Like, and, and VJ's rise kind of came after Joey D. joined his team. So, this is from a Joey D. book. VJ, he goes, when he first met him, he goes, Joey D, you sounded taller over the phone. Because <laughs> I think he is kind of a runt. It's just a booming voice and a lot of energy. He goes, in 2001, he says, what would it take to get you to work with me exclusively? Because DeSalvi was like done some stuff with Jesper Parnovic, and that's about it. Because I know I can be the best player in the world. In 2002, everyone just assumed Tiger Woods was invincible, would be number one in the world for as long as the sport of golf interested him. EJ was rookie of the year in 93, but had managed just a single tour win since 2000. Here he was, though, telling me that 
he thought he could be number one. Most people would have laughed at his prediction. But I knew how hard at work he was. And the time I'd been with him, he just about killed himself whenever he worked out. And I respected his work ethic. So then by 04, he's, Joey D starts looping for him. And becomes his trainer. And then by 04, he overtakes him and becomes number one in the world. Joey D? One of, some of his workout routine. Joey D's got three world number ones. Now he's, you know, DJ and yeah, that's screaming, funny. screaming at cameras on, on TV. Brooksy had Brooksy, maybe no longer has Brooksy. I don't think he has Brooksy anymore. Um, and, and Joey D is like the one person who would talk to the press in the middle of DJ. Then you know, pumping himself up. He's like, he believes the world hasn't accepted that the fact that this was not a fluke. Like when he really turned it on before. I. I don't know how you, I mean, and this is like one of the great things that he's like convincing himself that nobody's giving him credit. Like he won, that you, there's nobody in the right mind could say winning nine times in a year is a fluke. Joey D, can't believe it. His workout routine, which Elkington said he practices mindlessly for saying this is a Garrity article, the simple pleasure of hitting a golf ball and watching it fly to the horizon is restorative on the range or inside the ropes. You just can't reach it. So here's some of the workout. Whether at his home in Ponte Vedra, Singh has a fully stocked gym or at the PGA Fitness trailer. He gets up before dawn six days a week. He rides an exercise bike for 20 minutes. Then he stretches for 20 minutes. He has a 30-minute session working every muscle group with barbells and dumbbells. He finishes by recreating a swing of cables and medicine ball for a half hour. And then he picks up a club for the first time that day. Holy this is more shit. Joey D. After he hits balls for an hour and a half, he plays a five-hour practice round, eats lunch, goes back to the range for two or three hours, then putts for 40 or 50 minutes. Then he talks about the day with Joey D. This is like during his heyday. He takes a ride home, begins to work out at night for 90 more minutes. Oh, my God. He would, he would tell Joey D, I can be as good at... I could be as good as you at what you are doing, but you will never be as good as me at what I do. Kind of a nasty thing, but a ballsy thing to say. Um, and here's Tom Pernice, his buddy. He's by far, this is 04, he's by far the best player out there, said Tom Pernice of Sings Friends, uh, one of Sings Friends. They can say Tiger Woods is the best player out there, but, for the, but the record for the last 18 months is not even close. VJ has a work ethic like no one else. To him, it's no different than the guy who gets up in the morning, puts on a suit, gets his briefcase, and drives to work. VJ does the same thing every day, and he loves it. He doesn't have any true hobbies. Tiger likes to go scuba diving to get away. When VJ gets bored, he goes out and practices. Um, it says he's 6'2", 198. I always he thought he was way taller. bigger than that, I thought. I thought he was taller. I guess, like, um, Ernie's 6'4", you know? Yeah, yeah. Then I guess uh, he expanded the gym at his oceanfront house. This is an old, uh, old article, Chimo Jahowski, at Ponte Vedra. He works out three hours a day, a minimum, working out three hours a day before he hits golf balls, six days a week. Um, then we're, the other thing is, uh, what did he have? Stinty. He had it, uh, sorry, I'm trying to, I have so much stuff here. Also in his, uh, he rested only two days during the off season. Oh, four. And he snuck out on Christmas Day to hit ball. At his house, 
is a 2,000 square foot green that one runs 13 or 14 on the stint meter. Um, and he spends three or four weeks a year working with a Swedish based instructor. This is again, not now, back in Sable. But, uh, all the rest he does on his own, which I just thought was kind of cool, right? Like he talks to other players on the range, but never really had, you know, Joey D fitness, but didn't have like a go-to swing instructor except for a few weeks. VJ. Like Anything else? I, the, um, Kenny Perry called him Biggie. He called Kenny Perry Biggie. Oh, maybe I got I that think. wrong. He also, Wojciechowski said he loves to say the word bro. This was before it became. How about his truck? His truck is like a big thing too. He's got a giant pickup truck that's like all yeah. blacked yeah. out rims. Yeah. Here's the other thing. I just I want to talk about like how. So he obviously has contentious relationship with Phil, contentious relationship with Tiger. But I, I read over and over and over again to the point where I can't even pare it down right now. How many pros like really loved him? He was like the pro's pro because he would help Monday qualifiers. He'd meet on the course and give them swing tips or work with them immediately. Lesser guys. He became tight with like Hank, Hank, Hank Keen, um, Tom Pernice, Kenny Perry. Uh, I'll read uh, Doug Barron. DJ stands out to me. He's not afraid to help someone because he wants to beat everyone at their best. That's the way he is. He che- Here's Bamberger. He checks out swings and offers commentary to many players both Sunday afternoon names and more often people he's never heard of. He laughs easily and seems to have nothing but time for his brethren, even though darkness will come, event- come eventually and send him home. The players, many of them like him, the players, many of them like him, and he likes many of them. He tutors them and vice versa. But there's nothing in his golfing friendships that suggests he worships fame and money. He's also colorblind in the game when racism still lingers. Classism has always been rampant in golf, but not in BJ's world. He'll develop a golfing friendship with any player who burns to get better and is prepared to do the necessary work. They talk about the Nick Price during the cup wrist, which he then passed on to Hank Keeney. Um, and, and there's just so many anecdotes about helping like, think, these kind of lower level pros. I think Go something ahead. else too is that this is like something to keep in mind. This was before the Trackman era. Yeah. So like Ogilvy always talks about it. He's like, you know, the thing about the tour was that everybody was trying to figure it out. And week to week, it was like, oh, I think I got it figured out. I think I got the secret. And what happened with TrackMan is everybody knew exactly what the secret was and how to figure it out because there was a machine telling you. So, like, this tinkering and this advice, like, that was a big deal because, like, people were always constantly searching back then. Yeah. Yep. And here's more of that, like, pros, pro thing, and I'll wrap it up. When VJ left VJ and came to Europe, this is Fulton Allen talking, talking about in the 80s. So many people helped him. I spent hours with him. Seve spent hours with him. John Bland did. And now he's returning the favor. You could walk up to him and say, hi, VJ, I just qualified for the LA Open on Monday. He'll say, congratulations. I'm happy to meet you. And you say, I'm hooking the ball a little bit. Can you help me with it? And he says, let's have a look. Here's a great anecdote. 22 years ago, when Singh was a teenage pro, Broke but obsessive and with nowhere to practice, Chan Han, a pro at the Royal Johor Country Club in Malaysia, gave VJ free use of the range and a bed to sleep on in a room just off the pro shop, a chip shot from the practice field. 
same, like, so same, VJ basically began living on the range, like literally living on the driving range in a pro game was spot. He's kind of always carried that forward. It's just interesting. All the anecdotes, I, you hear that even nowadays because he's based upon a VJ and you know, there's tons of like Latino America pros, all sorts of like lower level pros will say like VJ will come up to them and, and offer to work with them or, or ask them how they're doing. So yeah, he is like this prick to the press and can be reclusive. But it seems like among, like he's a, you know, among the fraternity, he's really uh, kind of admired and revered. So maybe Phil and Tiger, some of those guys. It's, uh, I don't know. I think I, he was, I don't think he, I think one of the things probably was he didn't treat the stars differently. It seems like he treated everybody yes. the same. And maybe that was the issue. That's a good point. And Ernie loved him. He wrote, yeah, wrote, wrote a letter to the editor, defending it. Defending, I mean, that's another big win, big check for the urn, man. Another <laughs> reason like to love Ernie. You like that? Yeah. He, uh, I think when we when we think about VJ, I think the way I think about it, we've talked a little bit about this, is that you've got your Tiger and your Jack and your Hogan and you know the players you're going to put into that that bucket. Right, yeah. You're all time, all timers, and yep. to me, VJ is very, very clearly tranched in that next bucket of guys that I would put. I think he's in that. Like you can make an argument that VJ's career was better than Phil's. You can make an argument that VJ's career was better than Ernie's, but you can also make the the arguments the other way with those. And that's where I find him like in that that just below Tiger tier of players of this generation. And it's pretty without a doubt. Yeah. Yep. I, th- I, I, I was thinking about this more and obviously researching and it's like, man, it feels like three major is kind of a short, he, he didn't get the most out of that. He, was, he had a top 10 in the major, like every year for 10 years. Like it really, maybe not contending at the wire, but he was in contention at majors for a solid 10 years. There wasn't like a, a disappearance or a late surge like Omira. It was like 10 solid years. I think part of it is that that the putter. This is what we see with the Adam Scott and Sergio. Yeah. Not so much Sergio anymore. I think that yeah. that but like Adam Scott, like he just is always there. But right. he's never – I think that's kind of one of the things that the guys that didn't putt well struggle with. Right. Like just – I mean, the the thing is like Ernie Els has as many top fives as in majors as VJ has at top tens. So as as much as he was there, he wasn't there that much, you know? Right, right. And right. I think that – you know, he – his close call would be like the open in 03, he finished second in. But outside of that, like he didn't have a lot of his top 10s were like 6th to 10th, you know. And he bet if he had a lot of wins which I think could be inflated a little bit because of how much he played. Right. Um a lot of money which in the world ranking points, I think all those kind of play into that. Um but he was extraordinary, you know. Yeah. Love him. Undoubted Hall of Famer, uh, maybe not the very top tier, but we're going to keep doing this exercise. We'll what do you tier, think? Right? Uh, 
I mean, he's, yeah, he's not, that's what I just said. Undoubted Hall of Famer, not the top tier. I, I think majors matter, and he only had three. And I'm say that. I mean, but you know, would you put Rory ahead of him? Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You had to, right? I mean, there's just like. Uh, yeah, yeah, you would. I mean, Jordan Spieth has as many majors as VJ. So you put VJ ahead of Spieth, right? Based off longevity. Well, I mean, like we're talking, we that's why we can't really talk. We can't compare right now. Talk about current guys. I know. You know, like you can't compare Rory to him. But I, I think the comparison is like you got to look at Els and and Phil. Those are Phil. the two guys that he compares yeah. best to. And I think like Duvall, he kind of looks like Duvall would look if Duvall say had like not just fallen off the face of the earth. Had like nine years instead of four good years. I mean, the fact oh, that the, the eleven straight years inside the top five, five. Of, of the of the uh, buddy list Money. is insane. Yeah. Um. I think the thing people will look at with Ernie and and point to is like the one thing VJ did. He got to the America and he abandoned every other tour. Like Ernie kept playing Europe, kept playing. Uh, so like, sure. you know, like his, your Ernie's PGA tour stats are never going to be what VJ's are, but you know, that's because he yep. played in, on European tour too. And, and VJ finished first on both of those tour money less one year, right? He won player of the year, I think European tour player of the year and PGA tour player of the year, I think in the same year, I believe, um, ask what he'd write in his own obituary. Quote, this is the Wojciech article. I did not leave anything back. I gave it all I had, and that's the God's honest truth. Pretty hard to argue. I mean, you know, it's like, what was the reason he had like a garbage bat, a garbage can, a giant garbage can of balls on one range? Like a literal giant, huge cylindrical garbage can of golf balls. He was hitting balls in the room. All right. An absolute legend. For so many reasons, we talked about this upbringing story, the, the work habits, the, I mean, not without controversy, for sure, and, and conflict, but. He, uh, right. he got the most, he got the most out of his talent. Like, we talked yeah. about Hal Sutton and how he, yeah. how he didn't. Yeah. This guy did, you know, yeah. and, and that in, in its own right is a different level of greatness than most people get to, you know. Yep. So, all right. All right. VJ Singh. We will post some fun pictures on Instagram, probably. We will, I'm sure, have missed some, you know, fun moments or, or key accomplishments. Send us those if you like. And we'll keep compiling all this and uh, keep the exercise going. Everyone have a safe, healthy weekend. Enjoy yourselves. And we'll uh, be back on Monday. Now, the shotgun start in golf is full of mathematics. Um, there's a lot of a lot of setup work that we have to do in order to make a tournament work. So I'm going to demonstrate to you just exactly how we do a shotgun start here. <laughs>